Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the, mo- the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, Abraham ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under this tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Make ready three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Then Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And Abraham replied, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women, so she laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, Oh yes, you did laugh. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks. Amen. So we're in stewardship season, and our theme for stewardship this year is um, hilarious giving. Okay, (laughs) y'all are listening maybe, and some of you may think those two words really don't go real well together. Wrong. Tune in next week, come and worship with us, and I'm going to show you that it's really quite biblical. So we were talking in the stewardship meeting about this is our theme, and it reminded me, for years I had a portrait in my office uh, of Jesus, and it's called The Laughing Jesus, and I know it's hard for you to see it out there. It'll be down at the ministry fair, so you need to go down there and take a closer look, but if you look at this picture, you see Jesus, the eyes are sparkling, the head is back, this isn't just a smirk, this isn't a small grin or chuckle. This is uh, a moment of uproarious laughter. I have an Episcopal priest friend that is always walking around. He's got a cigar in his front pocket and some um, pocket-sized versions of this. I said, why do you carry them? He said, well, a lot of my Episcopalian friends have adopted the notion that sourness is um, a sacred attribute. (laughs) So... I think three of the primary bones in life, um, the backbone, the wishbone, and the funny bone. And I think maybe too many Methodists gave up the funny bone for Lent one year, okay? I've been in some of these long meetings, and it seemed to me in some of these meetings there was a little opportunity for a moment of um, kind of mirth and humor, but we just 
droned our way through. And by the time we got over after two hours, I felt like saying, why don't we circle up and join hands and see if we could contact the joyful or the living? <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about the Jesus that laughs, the God that smiles? Eh, you know, a weeping God, okay. Um, a righteously indignant God, yes. A God shrouded in mystery. A laughing God? Here's what I believe. The older I get and the less I read the Bible through stained glass, the more I see the chuckles, the laughs, the smiles that are in Scripture. Don't you think that we should have a pretty good um, chuckle when we're there in the Jonah story and smug, self-arrogant Jonah is stretched out on the beach, covered in gastric juice, smelling like whale breath? Yeah. Don't you think Jesus had a twinkle in his eye when he sees the crowd being fed by a boy's sack lunch? The crowd that the disciples said, send them away. <laughs> Do you think Jesus was deadpan when he talked about the man with the two by four in his eyes that wanted to pick on his friend that had the speck in the eye? When Jesus said, let the children come to me and he's bouncing a child on his knee, do you think that he had a somber face? Well, there's one chapter in the Bible that is literally just rollicking in laughter. It's the 18th chapter of Genesis. We talked about Abraham last week. Remember Paul? He pointed us back to Abraham. He said, um, let us remember, friends. He said, let us remember that the original promise of the gospel, it began with Abraham and his offspring. Now Abraham, you see, has been on this journey with Sarah, and they're at the Oaks of Mamre. Um, they've pitched their tent, and they have their flocks around them. It didn't start there. Remember, the, the journey started in Ur of Mesopotamia. And back there in Ur, I think you would say Abraham and Sarah, they had a good life. I, I can picture it. They had a house in the suburbs, um, two-car garage, barbecue pit out back. They had what people around here would call a future. And then they... Get, they got hold of God, or God got hold of them, and they were told that there was going to be a promise that they could hitch their life to. And this was the promise that somehow they would be um, the beginning of a nation and a movement that would bless the world. They would have a son. And so they, they, they hitched their U-Haul trailer to the station wagon, and as we said last week, they went out not knowing. Sometimes up, sometimes down, sometimes they had breakthroughs, sometimes there were detours and delays. I like the time. Remember, they, they were to divide up some land with their nephew, Lot. Lot took the good acreage and left them with land that looked like dead man's gulch. But here was the hardest part of their journey. Year after year rocked by, and all the experts, all of them agreed. Sarah was as barren as the land that Lot had left them with, okay? So here they are, they've pitched their tents in Mamre. They're sitting in the vestibule and they see these strangers walking down the path. Now when you and I on this day see strangers, we're not sure, you know, shut the window, shut the door, who are? That's not the way they responded. You see, they were Bedouins. And for the Bedouin people, uh, hospitality, it was a sacred privilege. You know, for, for, for these folks, um, the best toast would be someone who would say to each one that came, I'm so glad that you finally got here. And then after each one left, as they were leaving, you would say, you have to leave so soon. 
I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they were a perfect host. They see these strangers coming and they say, maybe we better put on three more veal chops because we're having guests for supper. They gave them something to drink and they gave them the cheese and they, they are now enjoying this meal first in silence. And then there's a word. The word is, excuse me, um, where is your wife? Where is Sarah? Well, she's, she's back in the kitchen. She's getting dessert. And at that moment, Abraham knew why there were butterflies in his stomach because he recognized this was the voice that spoke to him that said that there was going to be the promise of starting a nation and having a son. This, this wasn't just any voice. This wasn't just any stranger or any man. And... Um, then this is the word from the Holy One who was there as a messenger. Hey, said the messenger, I'm coming back same time next year. And when I come back, Sarah will have a son. And what Abraham and Sarah did, they did what you would do. They, they laughed. Can't you see Abraham, his shoulders were shaking, his false teeth slip a notch. Can't you see Sarah back there in the kitchen shoving the apron into her mouth so no one can hear her chuckling back there? Of course they laughed. I mean, think about it. Given birth in the geriatric ward with Medicare picking up the tab? <laughs> yeah, crazy. And the Holy One, the, the messenger said, uh, why is Sarah laughing? And before there can even be a response, the word is, don't you know, doesn't she know? Nothing is impossible with God. Who is this one who knows what we're going to say before we say it? And from back in the kitchen, Sarah calls out, I was not laughing. And the messenger says, yes, you were. But here's the part about the story that I find really intriguing. Uh, apparently, God was not... Um, angry at their laughter. Because you, know you know what he told them? Oh, by the way, God said, I'm going to help you name the child. Really? Yes. The child is going to be named Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means in Hebrew? Laughter. <laughs> Isn't that something? See, 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 apparently God not only tolerated their laughter, but wanted to join with them. I want us to pause for just a moment, just say, why do any of us laugh? I mean, where does that come from? Humor, what, what constitutes humor? It might surprise you, some of the great philosophers of the world, Schopenhauer and Aristotle, took a shot at that question. Even Freud, who was as humorless as a chicken, wrote an essay entitled, Jokes and Their Relation to the Subconscious. I'm sure that was a real side splitter. <laughs> but here's what the... Philosophers seem to agree about laughter and humor. Two primary elements. First one, incongruity. Oh, I know that sounds like a big word, but you know what it means. It's, it's the holding together of contrasting ideas, moments, events, and people. It, it's, it's, it's ironic. It's funny. W.C. Fields, all dressed up in a Sunday vest and preening and just kind of showing off and out. He goes walking down the street slips on a banana peel, and we laugh. Why? Because there's the false dignity combined and contrasted with the indignity of his fall. <laughs> Woody Allen says, I'm not sure I believe in the afterlife, but 
I'm taking along a change of underwear just in case. Abraham and Sarah, they're quite capable of joining in that laughter at the irony, the incongruities, crazy incongruities of life. Yeah, one foot in the grave and the other in the maternity ward. Look, that kind of laughter, it, it, it can be a spiritual thing. It can be the prelude to faith, to a moment of grace, to perspective. It, it can save us from pretense and sham and from taking ourselves too seriously. What did Oswald Chambers say? Be sure the first person you refuse to take seriously is your wife, your preacher, no, yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know how I like to be on the trail with young people. We were out there a few years ago, and several of us were watching. Everybody was getting set up, and part of the thing is letting young people learn the skills and be somewhat independent out there, and we were watching this 14-year-old. He was getting his tent set up, and he was hammering these plastic stakes, trying to into the ground. What he didn't know, there was about a half inch of leaf and moss, and behind, underneath that was this large granite outcropping trying to hammer away into that and finally this older gentleman in our group walked over and he's chuckling just a little bit and he said well, well well young man you're learning what I learned well what's that well you're learning sometimes it's best to put your tent somewhere else and I'm thinking uh oh the kid is young proud 14 this isn't going to go down well but see the older fellow, when he was approaching, his smile was not derisive. It was warm. It was winsome. It was inviting. And guess what? The 14-year-old joined in with them and chuckled and joined in the litany. Yeah, I guess you're right. Sometimes you just need to put your tent somewhere else. And they laughed together. That kind of laughter, it can take a moment that's going south and turn it into a moment of grace. It can save a relationship. Don't you think sometimes it can save a marriage? And premarital counseling, oh, sometimes um, a couple will turn to me and say, yes, Rob, tell us what, what's a core value that you would recommend anyone would have in their marriage? And one thing I always say, a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, a sense of humor. Well, my friend tells this on himself. Um, he doesn't live here. You don't know him. And he wouldn't mind me telling it. Um, he and his wife had gotten into an argument. It wasn't a terrible one. Just one of those, you know, kind of things uh, you get into. Husbands and wives get into. And there was argument and counter-argument. There were mild accusations. There was a little bit of that language we use in marital arguments. You only, you always, you never. And he felt he was getting the worst of it, and he got this basset hound look, and he was angry, and he threw on his overcoat because it was cold outside, and he's just going to go out, and he slams the door as he leaves. And this is what happened. The tail of his overcoat gets caught in the door. The door's locked. He's rifling through his pockets for the keys. No keys, all right? So what do you do? It's cold, below freezing. Do you go out unhouseled, unprotected? No, you did what he decided to do. He rang the doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, 
Now, come on, you can picture what's going to happen now. And he rings the doorbell, and his wife comes and looks out to the people, and there he is. And she opens the door, and he said she was laughing so hard, she had to put her hands on his shoulders to keep from falling. And apparently there was enough grace in their relationship that he received this as gift. He received this as God arranging an armistice between a husband and a wife. And he joined in the laughter with her. And that kind of laughter is sweeter than all the rains of heaven. It can save a moment. It can save a relationship. It can save a marriage. It could save a day. I mean, you might have one of those days this week. You get up and nothing goes right from the get-go. There's a little bit of egg on your new tie, and the baby throws up on your suit. And you get in the car, and 240's backed up. You get to work, and everything you thought was going to happen between an 8 and 12 doesn't have a chance of getting off the ground. What do you do? Uh, you can rue the day that you were born, or you can just laugh at your presumptuousness that the day was going to go as you expected. Yeah just to be able to laugh at sometimes the silliness of our human strivings, um, to laugh at that gap between what we think we're accomplishing and what we get done, that gap between who we like to project we are and who we really are. I mean, to, that kind of laughter can be a prelude to grace. Sarah and Abraham could fully join in with that laughter. But remember what I said to philosophers, and this is where it gets really biblical now. Said there's another key element to humor. It's not just incongruity, it's surprise, surprise. See, that's the introduction into the theme, to the story, into the narrative of something new, something totally unanticipated and unexpected. So surprising that you can't help but just laugh, you know, at the wonder of it. Is anything impossible with God? Couldn't something like this really happen? I'm not sure Abraham and Sarah were ready to quite go there, but let's don't be too hard on them. They had spent months and they had spent years waiting and wondering, and some of you have. And, and so you begin to wonder, is there any novelty left? Are there any surprises around the corner? Are there any innovations that are going to be introduced into the world that I've become accustomed to? After a while, though, if all we can do is laugh at the incongruities of life, sometimes that laughter can become hardened, maybe even a little cynical. A lot depends on the voice we listen to, right? There is that voice that says, come on, just... Face the fact, it's a, it's, it's a decaying old world out there. That's, that's the world that's out there. Go on. Learn to live with your dark cloud. Make peace with your barrenness. Right. Don't, don't, don't spend a lot of energy thinking about a life of promise and possibility. Or you could listen to another voice, the voice that says, the Spirit that once moved across the waters and brought forth something out of nothing is still moving in our life today. Still moving. And if you believe that, you see all kind of doors fling open. You don't know. 
Leave some room for surprise. You see, that's, that's the message of that voice. Go on, buy a bassinet, if not for a baby. How about for a new you or for a new world around you? What are we talking about here? We're talking about the surprises of the ongoing, surprising work of the God of creation. Don't let any preacher tell you that that preacher can seize or control those surprises. Those surprises, they cannot be programmed. They cannot be prognosticated. They cannot be seized. Or somebody can't say, I've got it, she's got it, we've got it. No, but they're there. What are they made up of? Strange twist, but good twist. Surprising turns and turns around. Innovations. I mean, this doesn't mean that all of our dreams come true or all the promises out in front of us are going to be fulfilled. But it does tell us to keep living, keep praying with expectancy because we don't know. We don't know, you see. Leave some room. Leave some room for the surprise. You know, part of the kick of life, isn't it? You know, just learning time and time again that there's a lot of things we don't know. It's like these um, young parents I know that were very honest. They said most of our peers had children before we did. We waited a little longer. And during our child, childless years, they said we were more than willing to um, just share all of our knowledge um, about child rearing with anyone who wanted to listen. <laughs> yeah, they said we, we were always espousing all that we know that we knew about children and you know what they say now they say we don't do that anymore <laughs> we've got three children <laughs> before we had the three children we thought we knew everything about children not anymore <laughs> yeah they say you know it used to be used to be kind of smug we four children we'd go over to have dinner at somebody's house and we would leave saying things like well when we have children they'll never act like that now they say when our childless friends come to see us and they leave, we say, please promise not to laugh about us and our children on your way home. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's life. That's just the kick of life, isn't it? We think we got it all figured out. Then we got it all figured out. And then we find otherwise. Yeah. What, what was old Gomer Powell's line on Andy Griffith? He used to say it all the time, surprise, surprise, surprise. Yeah. But see, I would contend, spiritually speaking, that is not a bad place to be. To a sense that um, when it comes to God and what God is doing in the world, through us, for us, around us, uh, we don't have it all figured out. See, if you think that you know that the future is sure and certain, that it's all tucked in and neat and tidy and down in the corners, and there's no room for surprise. 
Nothing is impossible with God. I don't know all that that means. I know this much. I know a messenger showed up to an old couple in Saudi Arabia and said, um, you're going to have a son that is going to bless the nations. And they said, are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. You're going to have a son. And they had a son. And the messenger said, name the child Isaac, laughter. And you know the rest of the story. Isaac became the nation of Israel. And even though that nation was um, enslaved and persecuted and ostracized and made fun of and unwelcomed often among the other nations, it became a source of ethical truth and life for the world. Some things I don't know. I do know this. A messenger showed up to a teenage girl in northern Israel and said, you're going to have a son, and that son is going to bless the world. And she said, are you kidding? I'm not even married. Yes, you're going to have a son, and he's going to bless the world. And even though he was persecuted and abandoned and mocked and beaten and crucified, he's still among us. And wherever he shows up, human hearts are lifted and human communities are changed. If God can come to an old couple sitting by the oaks of Mamre and give them a son that blesses the world, who knows, huh? Who knows? Who knows? You know, I think one reason that God wanted them to call the, world, the boy Isaac laughter, call him laughter, is that someday he hoped that Abraham and Sarah they would be able to join with God in the greatest laughter of all, the laughter with God about the preposterousness of the surprises of what God keeps doing in the world. I hope that kind of laughter just rings about the halls of Central. Oh, I know, I know some at this point, I'm at the end of my ball of twine at the end of the sermon. You're saying you didn't say a word about stewardship, and this is stewardship season. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. You just didn't know it. Here's what I know. If stewardship really begins with unbridled joy and laughter, hmm, that'll become a wellspring. <laughs> no telling where it'll take us in terms of our living, our giving, or our serving. <laughs>